inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there, and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Welcome to our 156th podcast, Memento Number 6, The Arbitrariness of Xerxes. Part three. And we've been talking Xerxes and arbitrariness, but this is a trait found in many human beings. But in the case of Xerxes in particular, his inability to withstand the compulsion to rely on impulse or to act on on a basis other than reason when making decisions is a quite scary thing indeed. And it hits anybody. But it shouldn't happen to a king in battle. But take this by way of illustration. I am reminded of Franz Reichelt. He was the guy who ignored advice from friends who implored him. Franz, Franz, please don't do this. Franz, don't go. Do not jump off the Eiffel Tower in your newly designed wingsuit. Further testing is required, Franz. This is 1912, for God's sakes. Franz, you need to do a few more flight tests first. But Franz jumped. Bad plan. Talk about hard landings. From 1,063 feet, Franz hit the ground just short of terminal velocity, leaving only one option available to him. A hole six inches deep in the ground. Death was instantaneous upon that hard landing. This is the kind of landing Elon Musk most wishes to avoid when he fulfills his dream and lands on Mars someday, as Judy Collins made so famous in the 1970s. Someday soon. I'll be with you. Someday soon. Okay, Elon. As, with, as often happens with people under the boot, they grow tired of the lash, weary with and angry at the expropriation of their income earned only through hard work and sweat equity, through, through the appliance of exorbitant tax, rate, tax rates against them, and finally they grow f- sufficiently fed up that they risk it all and revolt. And this is the story of Xerxes. And in 486 BC, the Egyptians had had enough of Xerxes and they revolted. And in doing so, the Egyptians forced him, forced Xerxes to rearrange his plans, reassess his priorities. Greece could wait. The Egyptians could not. They had to be smoted immediately. You know, and and as Kurt Vonnegut used to write, and so it goes. And, and then after the Egyptian revolt was ruthlessly put down by Xerxes, most inconveniently, there then arose two more separate uprisings, uprisings in Babylon, each of which demanded the king's attention and had to be dealt with forthwith. The magnificent towering fortifications of Nebuchadnezzar II and the ziggurat, you know, modern scholars argue it was the original Tower of Babel, you know, described in the Bible. Nevertheless, on Xerxes' orders, they were to be demolished, and they were. 
is it was a loss to the world really and only after those escapades those disturbances all those wacky babylonians um, only after they had been successfully addressed by Xerxes might the king of kings get on with the main business of his empire, the devotion of all his thinking, all his boundless energy to planning the utter annihilation of all things in general Greek and the Athenians in particular, who simply, they refuse submission, the nerve of these guys. And, and that was the best use of the king's time planning to destroy stuff, and he was good at it, at least so far. So despite empire upheavals, the king of kings had not yet put those uppity Athenians whom had had the temerity to have destroyed the far superior uh, Persian force at Marathon, and he had, he had failed to put them in his rearview mirror. He hadn't lost sight in the interim, putting down all these revolts, you know, paraphrasing Ford Motors tagline, destroying the Athenians definitely was job number one. So focusing all one's energy on plotting on how best to commit genocide, exact revenge on people does require in-depth planning and a great deal of time to be expended upon logistics, something that Hitler refused to do, by the way. So back to that Battle of Marathon that so humiliated Darius the Great. Many historians consider that that battle in 490 BC in which the Greeks, really the Athenians, defeated Darius the Great is singly the most important battle ever fought in the history of the Western world. Absent that Greek victory over the Persian forces, you know, uh, driven forward under the lash, the experiment that was democracy would have been aborted shortly after its birth. The outcome of that battle changed the history of the Western world forever. In fact, it's not an exaggeration to make the claim that were it not for that victory of the allied Greek forces on the plains of Marathon, the very concept of an east and west in this world may never have come about at all. You know, the artistic, philosophical, um, intellectual, scientific, and political pursuits and drives that led ultimately to the formation of the superstructure underpinning the Enlightenment, the humanist movement, and the flow of argument as to the righteousness and the morality of democracy as being superior to oligarchic rule, monarchist, and absolute autocratic rule would never have come to fruition. It just wouldn't. But to have been on the other side of that famous battle had been a disgrace for the Persians, even in 480 BC. It had to be avenged because it couldn't be ignored or erased. No, it couldn't. So Xerxes then devoted the next three full years of his life to planning the invasion and destruction of Greece. Nothing was to be spared in this war of revenge. And to make sure that the ancient Western version um, of what you know, modern Iranian Ayatollah Khomeini referred to as the great Satan. For him, it was America. For, for, for Persia and Xerxes, it was ancient Greece. The objective was to, be, uh, to obliterate them. 
and Xerxes set about assembling the largest army the world had ever seen. And leaving nothing to chance, Xerxes reached out to states from all over the Mediterranean world, asking that they contribute warships for inclusion within the world's mightiest naval fleet that was ever assembled, and he was in the process of putting together. Now, Xerxes may he, you know, he, he was many things, as, as we have been discussing, but he wasn't stupid. Let's make that clear. And as he made plans to invade Greece by land and sea, he foresaw that the Mediterranean's greatest power, the Western Mediterranean's greatest power, was Syracuse in Sicily. You know, it was a commercial, trading, and military dynamo led by the fearsome tyrant of Greek roots, Gilan. And, and it... It might well um, decide, uh, Syracuse, that it was in perhaps um, their best interest to support the allied Greek cause over the Persian cause and provide as many as 20,000 troops in the fight against uh, Xerxes' forces. And and more more worrisome still to Xerxes was that Gilan might provide um, uh, and and prove motivated to provide um, for many reasons that he sent a vast naval armada and you know a n- naval assets in support of the allied greek cause and this would be very very troublesome a development for xerxes um, and were Gilan to contribute his 200 uh, Syracusan naval triremes to the greek fleet it would increase allied naval strength by a full third this xerxes just he had to prevent this from happening and, you know, Darius had, had violated the principles of primogenitor by bypassing his older son and anointing Xerxes as his successor uh, to be when the time came. And, you know, a firstborn son bypassed in favor of a younger son. Xerxes would assume the crown. And he had to have, he had to have made that decision for a reason. Darius apparently saw something, a superior intelligence probably, in Xerxes that persuaded him to announce to his empire um, that Xerxes would be his successor. And if those, if the, if the predominant trait that made him come to this conclusion were intelligence, it was demonstrated, or at least it's, it was supported by Xerxes' um, actions with respect to Syracuse sending Persian uh, ambassadors to Carthage in advance of the war with the Greeks for effectively five reasons. And, and, And those five reasons include to announce Persian plans to invade Greece. No, uh, no doubt the Carthaginians with their extensive intelligence network throughout the Mediterranean and the Aegean world already knew this to be the case, but still it was good policy for Xerxes to show his respect for the Carthaginians by making his plans official. And number two, let the Carthaginians know that their number one enemy, both commercially and militarily, Gilan, the tyrant of Syracuse, that he had already been approached by the Greeks with the intention and hope of soliciting Gilan's military support uh, for the defense of Xerxes' expedition. And this too, the Carthaginians might have known. Number three, Xerxes' ambassadors 
suggested then to the Carthaginians the obvious that should Gilan decide to respond favorably to Greek requests for aid by sending east either his troops or his fleet or both, this would make Syracuse far more vulnerable to Carthaginian hostilities. Should Carthage decide the time was right to launch an offensive against the then much-depleted forces of Gilan Syracuse, I mean, the, the Persians would be all over that. That would be great. Of course, Xerxes' ambassadors were quick to acknowledge that any such decision to, to invade Sicily remained with the Carthaginians and them alone, you know, blah, 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 blah. Number four, however, while initiating hostilities against Gilan, was surely the province of Carthage only. Xerxes sure wouldn't mind if the Carthaginians might do to the Persian Empire just, you know, one small little favor, a solid, if you will, and take such actions, whatever they might be, such that Gilan and the Syracusans would conclude that the Carthaginians might damn well be thinking it quite opportunistic a time to do just such a thing and invade Syracuse should Galen release his troops and or his fleet to the Greek cause, leaving them vulnerable to attack. Number five, that Carthaginian action, just a deep fake alone, would very well force Gilan to deem it prudent to keep his military assets close to home. All this based on the timeless principle, of course, that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Now, if Syracuse declared a policy of, of strict neutrality in the coming war between Persia and Greece or refused to support the Greek cause, either way, this was going to cause Gilan a significant political problem that he would have to resolve. But Persian ambassadors and the Carthaginians were certain that Gilan was clever enough that he could navigate through the diplomatic waters without taking on too much water, so to speak. And besides, that was his problem and his problem alone. His problem being how could Gilan not come to the aid of the Greeks in a war against the barbarians? After all, Gilan was a Greek. But the Persian ambassadors emphasized that that was neither a Carthaginian or Persian problem. So, sort of in conclusion, the ambassadors said, you know, hey guys, um, you know, how about we, we wind up on this basis? The king of kings sure would appreciate uh, your doing nothing more than taking whatever minimal actions you might see fit that might induce Gilan of Syracuse to believe the Carthaginians are coming. The Carthaginians are coming. That would be enough. Now remember, Ike he had Patton marching all over the southeast coast of England in advance of the D-Day landing, such that Hitler was absolutely positive that the Allies were coming to Calais. That was the objective, and of course, it worked better than the plan. So Xerxes was really doing something very much in parallel to what Ike had Patton doing. And it was, it was in this spirit that the Persians asked the Carthaginians for a little help in misdirection. And, they were, and the Carthaginians, they, they not only were too, too happy to play along, 
They actually did invade Syracuse. It didn't work out so well for them. That's a subject for another day. Um, but as for Gilan, he did figure out a way to save face. He didn't refuse to provide the Greeks assistance. No, he just made an offer the Greeks, unlike the Godfather, he made them an offer they had to refuse. He offered them an unbelievable fighting force of 20,000 men to be made available. And more than that, he would provide a naval force of 200 triremes to the Allied uh, Greek cause to fight the Persians, but, but only on one condition that he, Gilan of Syracuse, immediately be appointed the Greek war commander of all Greek forces, land and sea. And, and I'm telling you, with the Spartans and the Athenians, this was not going to happen. It's not ever going to happen. The offer was DOA, dead on arrival. Well, Gilan had tried, hadn't he? The Greeks had turned him down. Hmm, okay, political problem solved. I did what I could. Um, nobody could say I didn't make an effort. So Syrac uh, Xerxes had confronted uh, the Syracusan risk and he had diffused it without firing a shot, as they say. And Lao Tzu's art of war would indicate that he would approve of such an action as Xerxes put into effect. Xerxes' strategic initiative was the acme of generalship. He won a battle without having to fire a shot. In, in, in his orchestration of the Carthaginian diplomatic mission, Xerxes demonstrated real, true shrewdness, vision, and intelligence. And of this, there is no doubt. But it, it is given his possession of such an obvious skill set that we find Xerxes capriciousness, his unpredictability, his loss of self-control, and his outright wickedness on a number of occasions to be so surprising in a man of so much talent. You know, his inner idiomine is just so unnecessary, so unflattering, and it's so counterproductive to his own interests. Why did he do this? Well, because you can't control compulsions. Hmm. And, and this we're going to witness in our next podcast, The Arbitrariness of Kings, Xerxes Part 4, as Xerxes sets out on his expedition from Sardis in modern-day Turkey on his way to destroy those Greeks. And we find him approaching the Hellespont and his now so famous pontoon bridge of boats. And it is here that we will begin to see some of Xerxes' outright arbitrariness. Hey, I thanks for listening. Hope you'll tune in again soon. Place. Half of a world away. And there's so much to do and there's so much to see. Mother Nature's had her way. There are mountains and valleys and beautiful hills Each vista something new And though my imagination's been captured My thoughts, they return to you So can you help relieve me Of this burden on my back 
inside of me or something I must like for I've got this worry you believe in me and I must admit it that I'm scared so can you try